Welcome to the Michigan Constitution Podcast, where the citizens of the Mitten State seek the pleasant peninsula between their state and federal identities through a deeper understanding of how Michigan's Constitution and its defining case law affects their everyday lives. Your host, Tony Snyder, is a licensed Michigan attorney with more than a decade of experience in private and government practice. Through this podcast, you'll better understand the unique characteristics of Michigan's supreme law and probably learn a few fun facts about federalism, too. And now, Here's Tony. Welcome back to the eighth installment of the Michigan Constitution podcast. We will continue our discussion of Article 1, Section 4 of the Michigan Constitution, but now we get into religion in schools. The purpose of this podcast is merely to teach you what's in the Michigan Constitution. Each podcast will review a different article section, We'll talk about what it means, and we'll review Michigan case law, which helps us to better understand the effects of those constitutional provisions. Here's what this podcast is not. It is not legal advice. It is not legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice constitutional law. I practice administrative law. Second, The laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about the Michigan Constitution could very well be outdated the day I post this podcast. If you think you're going to become a Michigan Constitutional Scholar because of my podcast, you're sadly mistaken. You'd do better with a Ouija board and a Magic 8-Ball. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need Michigan legal advice, you would be well served to contact the State Bar of Michigan and ask for their Lawyer Referral Service Program for a referral to an attorney who specializes in your legal matter. Article 1, Section 4. The next batch of cases address religion and the interchange with schools. The first case we discuss goes all the way back to 1968 in the case of Alexander v. Bartlett. The legislature, via Public Act 241, provides for transportation of pupils to public and state-approved non-public schools. But Plaintiff Alexander believed the appropriation of public funds from the school aid fund for the benefit of parochial schools via transportation assistance was a violation of Article 1, Section 4. Specifically, He believed that it compels taxpayers to contribute to the support of a place of worship and benefits of a religious sect or society. The Michigan Court of Appeals said that to truly determine if Article 1, Section 4 has been violated, it needed to be read in its entirety with specific attention given to sentences 1 and 4. They note that the first sentence guarantees to every person the liberty to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience. The fourth sentence commands that the civil and political rights, privileges, and capacities of no person shall be diminished or enlarged on account of his religious beliefs. They found that the first sentence guarantees the free exercise of religion, while the last sentence prohibits the granting or denying of any right or benefit on a basis of religion. Therefore, the court opined, these two sentences, when read together, maintain the neutrality of a government toward religion, It safeguards the free exercise of religion, and it prohibits the establishment of religion. Remember, for decades, Michigan has had a compulsory education requirement, which is a policy the courts have upheld time and time again. 
This compulsory education law recognizes the right of parents to send their children to parochial schools that meet the minimum state standards rather than to a public school should the parents choose. The court finds providing transportation for parochial students encourages the pursuit of education, it assists parents in complying with the compulsory education law while also recognizing the right to send their children to an accredited parochial school. More so, it provides a safe and efficient means of transportation to and from school. In conclusion, the court found the purpose of state-funded transportation is non-religious in nature and does not believe that the primary effect was to either inhibit or advance religion. For that reason, the funding for public transportation to parochial schools was determined not to violate Article 1, Section 4 of the Michigan Constitution. Our next case is in-ray legislature's request for an opinion on the constitutionality of Public Act 100 of 1970. Although we're far from Article 3 in the Michigan Constitution, there is a provision in the Constitution, specifically Article 3, Section 8, which allows the Michigan Supreme Court to determine the constitutionality of a public act when requested by the Michigan legislature before it ever makes its way through the litigation process. This is a way of getting the Michigan Supreme Court to rule on an act's legality without the time and expense of litigating at both the trial court and court of appeals level. Here, the Supreme Court was asked to review a law which provides for payments to be made by the state to certified lay teachers teaching non-religious subjects from textbooks approved for use in a public school. So, said another way, can a public school teacher be paid by the state to go to religious schools and teach non-religious subjects using public school criteria textbooks to teach students at a religious school? To be clear, the Act expressly prohibits payment or reimbursement for services to any teacher who is a member of a religious order or who may wear any distinctive habit. So think priests, pastors, nuns. The Act also prohibits any teachings by the public teacher regarding religious tenets, doctrine, or worship. The Supreme Court starts off by saying there is nothing in Article 1, Section 4 which expressly prohibits the purchase of the services of the public teachers teaching non-religious subjects in a religious school. If so, they argued, there is an attack to be made against the act, but it would need to be grounded within the idea of a quote-unquote necessary implication of its unconstitutionality. But in their analysis, the Supreme Court said they could not see how the purchase of non-religious educational services could be seen as supporting a place of religious worship. Nor did they believe any inference could be drawn that a public school teacher teaching non-religious subjects would be viewed as a minister of the gospel or a teacher of religion, particularly since the act was very clear to expressly exempt religious teachers from state compensation. They noted that there will be times a religious school may receive incidental benefits by the state, but this does not invalidate an otherwise constitutional statutory program which was plainly designed and intended to serve a public purpose. Next, the court noted that to adopt a strict no-benefits rule would render religious places of worship and its schools completely ineligible for all state services. 
The justices believe there is no evidence that the people of Michigan intended that rule to be adopted when the Michigan citizens ratified the Michigan Constitution. But also, the court thought that a quote-unquote no-benefits rule might actually run contrary to the last sentence of, sec of this section, which guarantees that no person shall have his rights, privileges, and capacities diminished or enlarged on account of his religious beliefs. When taken together, the Supreme Court said the sentences are an expanded and more explicit statement of the Establishment and Free Exercise Clauses of the First Amendment as found in the United States Constitution. For those reasons, the Michigan Supreme Court determined payment to public school teachers for the purposes of teaching non-religious subjects using public school-approved textbooks would not violate Article 1, Section 4 of the Michigan Constitution. Our next case dealing with religion and schools is the 1993 Michigan Supreme Court case of People v. DeYoung. Mr. and Mrs. DeYoung taught their two school-aged children at home in accordance with their faith. So, we're dealing with a homeschooling matter. Because the DeYoungs taught their kids at home without the aid of certified teachers, the local Ottawa County Area Intermediate School District charged the parents with violation of the compulsory education law. The allegation? that because Ma and Pa DeYoung weren't certified teachers, they weren't complying with the compulsory education requirement. The DeYoungs were ultimately convicted and sentenced to two years probation for instructing their children without being state certified teachers. They were each fined $200, or roughly $360 per person in today's money. They were required to test their children for academic achievement and ordered to arrange for certified instruction. The issue the Michigan Supreme Court had to address was whether Michigan's teacher certification requirement for homeschooling violates Article 1, Section 4. The majority of justices for the Supreme Court said that this is a strict scrutiny case, one that has the highest bar of governmental burden to prove, and to do so, must implement a five-element compelling interest test. This five-pronged test may sound familiar to you by now. One is the person's belief sincerely held. Two is that sincerely held belief religious in nature. Three, does the state regulation impose a burden on the exercise of such belief? Four, does the state's interest justify the burden imposed? And five, is there a less intrusive way to accomplish the goal? The court first found that indeed the de Young's belief was both sincerely held and a religious belief. Because the DeYoung's faith professes that parents are the ones who are responsible to God for the education of their children, these parents passionately believe that utilizing a state-certified teacher is sinful. The court believed that the DeYoung's faith, albeit unusual, could not be challenged or ignored. Regarding the third element, the Michigan Supremes believed it was met because the certification requirement clearly imposed a burden on the exercise of the parent's religious freedom. The majority said that a burden may be showed if the affected individuals would be coerced by the state of Michigan's actions into violating the parent's own religious beliefs. Put another way, the religious person must prove to the court he has been burdened on account of his religious beliefs. The certification requirements this court found imposes upon Mr. and Mrs. DeYoung this dilemma. Do they violate the law of God to abide by the law of man or commit a crime under the law of man to remain faithful to God? 
Therefore, the court found that this requirement of state-certified teachers was not a compelling state interest. They opined that to be truly compelling, the action required must be threatening to the safety or welfare of the state in a clear and present manner. This was not the case, the court believed. The state's narrow interest in maintaining the certification requirement needs to be weighed against the burden placed upon the de Young's right to a free exercise of their religion. The state, it was said, failed to provide evidence or testimony that supports the argument that certification is essential to the preservation of the state's interest. The Supreme Court noted from the lower court record that the children were fulfilling the state's academic and socialization goals, that the children have not been jeopardized in either their health or their safety, and that there is no indication that children will suffer social burdens in the future. In conclusion, the Michigan Supreme Court found the certification requirements are not essential to, nor are they the least restrictive means of achieving the state's claimed interest. Our last case, before we wrap up this podcast, but don't worry, I've still got one more podcast coming out dealing with religion in schools, is Reed versus Kenowa Hills Public Schools. It addressed homeschooling students' ability to play extracurricular interscholastic sports. It's a 2004 Michigan Court of Appeals case, and it was the desire of the parents to supplement the children's education by participating in extracurricular interscholastic athletic programs within the district in which the students reside. The parents were informed by the district that their homeschooled children could not participate in the interscholastic athletic programs unless they were enrolled in a public school within the district for at least 20 hours a week. This requirement was in accordance with the Michigan High School Athletic Association, which I will refer to henceforth as MHSAA. It was their rules that state school districts are required to follow, and it was this MHSAA rule which school districts are required to follow. If a school were to allow a student who is not enrolled with them to play on the school's team, that school would be denied access to championship tournaments and forfeit any winning games they may have achieved during the season. The theory, MHSAA contends, is to prevent the recruitment of ringers in high school athletics. The homeschooling parents and students were not successful with the three-judge court of appeals because the court found that interscholastic sports did not develop either their intellectual nor their vocational skills. The court found that sports is an extracurricular activity, and our Michigan Supreme Court had previously ruled extracurricular activities do not enjoy a right like core classes do. If this were a matter of the students looking to take a core class such as math, science, history, and the like, that is a right, not a privilege. In this instance, the schools would be forbidden from preventing the student from taking the class. In that instance, then, them wanting to take, say, a math, science, history class, well, then the school would be forbidden from preventing that homeschool student from taking that class. However, because the Court of Appeals found that sports is an extracurricular activity, that is merely a privilege, and in this instance, a privilege is reserved for the public school students. But the parents next argued that to properly exercise their religion, the children are to be homeschooled, 
And because the children want to participate in extracurricular athletic activities, the MHSAA's enrollment in public school requirement denies them, them being the children, the right to freely exercise their religion by being homeschooled. Additionally, the parents argue they should not have to forfeit their constitutionally guaranteed right to freely practice their religious beliefs by homeschooling just to participate in interscholastic athletic events. The Michigan Court of Appeals evaluating the Article 1, Section 4 claim, they used our five-part test to determine why MSHAA's requirement did not violate the Michigan Constitution. As is always the case, elements 1 and 2 were immediately found to be in favor of the homeschooling parents. The courts found that the parents' belief were both sincerely held and were religious in nature. But the court wanted to focus in on the third element of the burden. They found that the MHSAA enrollment requirement does not inescapably compel any conduct the parents might find objectionable to their religious beliefs. This enrollment requirement, the court said, does not infringe on the parents' right to homeschool their kids, nor does the enrollment requirement subject the parents to criminal prosecution. Instead, by homeschooling their children pursuant to their religious beliefs, the parents made a choice between extracurricular activities like sports or homeschooling. If the parents are homeschooling their children because it ensures the education provided integrates religious beliefs on a curriculum-wide basis while minimizing the influence of other worldviews, and for example, that would be things like evolution and other non-religious maxims, and if the peers and authority figures threaten to undermine those sincerely held religious beliefs, then interjecting those kids into teams whose teammates may run counter in faith and beliefs, are obviously then defeating the purpose of their homeschooling goals. Ultimately, the Court of Appeals determined that the parents are free to homeschool their children and that there is no governmental action occurring which coerces the parents to violate their religious beliefs. As such, the enrollment Regulation does not constitute a legally sufficient impediment on the parents' freedom to exercise their religious beliefs. That's going to do it for Episode 8 of the Michigan Constitution Podcast. Please reach out to me at podcast at tonysnyder.com through email, or I'm on Twitter, I'm at Tony Snyder. We'll talk to you next time. The Michigan Constitution podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not offer legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. This podcast is hosted by Tony Snyder. For more information, visit TonySnyder.com, send an email to podcast at TonySnyder.com, or follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Snyder. Catch new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. Thanks for listening.